Welcome to I'm Not Dead Yet with Judy and Travis, a podcast about living an extraordinary life with extraordinary circumstances. Welcome to the I'm Not Dead Yet podcast. I'm your co-host, Travis Robinson. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at age 35 in 2014. And I'm your other co-host, Judy Yaris. My husband, Sandy, had Parkinson's disease for 18 years. I was his care partner. Today's episode, we'll be talking about one of the least discussed problems or symptoms with Parkinson's disease, but one that I feel affects me at least a great deal. That is urine incontinence, or otherwise the P in BD. I like that. That's a very catchy phrase for something that's not so fun. <laughs> Makes it sound like it's a party, and it's not. So. <laughs> oh. You know, it's just a matter of how you frame your perspective on it, Judy. Yes, Travis. I think that's part of why you are successful in managing your symptoms and your life is because you try to frame it in a way that stays positive. And it's not easy to do. But you do it, and I'm always impressed with that, that you you really make it happen. Well, it's like when fucked up shit happens, you can say, oh, bother, or you can throw a party in spite of it. Yes, <laughs> I agree. You know, so let's talk about it. I think a lot of people don't realize that incontinence is definitely a symptom of PD. It is one of the side effects, and it is one that can be the most embarrassing, the biggest nuisance, and the most difficult to handle for most people. Would you say that's pretty true? Yes, yes, because. It is so far removed from what people think Parkinson's disease is that it's like, hey, you've got that disease that makes your hand shake. Yeah, and it makes me pee myself. Yeah. You know, honestly... I don't know anyone who's had a, a second-hand knowledge of PD that is aware of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that for newer people coming in, 
newly diagnosed, they don't, it doesn't get addressed very much. Like, does your, did your doctor talk with you about that when you were early in your early in your diagnosis? No, not at all. In fact, he brushed it off when I brought it up. It was one of those things like loss of smell. Mm-hmm. Just nodded and said, yeah, that's a symptom. And it's like, oh, fucking wow. Did did your doctor send you to a urologist right away? Or did you just know to go to a urologist? Because I know you've been to a neurologist. I went to a urologist. And I specifically told them, hey, I've got this problem. It manifests when my Parkinson's symptoms go out of whack. And that is the least awful time to Pee my pants. (laughs) And did he acknowledge it? He or she acknowledge it? Yeah. They set me up on a variety of drugs and different non-drug treatments. I know that they can send you for physical therapy to work with pelvic floor therapists that can sometimes help with that. And I remember Sandy met with someone at the urologist's office that um, she actually had a machine that he worked with that helped him quite a bit. I don't, I wasn't in obviously on those sessions, but I remember him feeling that it was definitely helpful when he did it. Yeah. I don't know all the different treatments, but my urologist was very positive of, you know, we'll try this, and if it does not work, we'll try that one, and if that doesn't work, we'll keep trying them until we find one that does. Okay, so they were very proactive with you. Yes. And have you found a lot of relief with it? Yes, by and large, I do. But again, the trouble is when my BD symptoms are running away, that's when I'm more likely to make a puddle on the floor. And that is very unhelpful. Right. It makes it very difficult, depending on your situation. I know you go to school. So so let's talk about what you do for yourself so that you are comfortable and feel okay going out in the world because when you have this symptom, sometimes you don't know when your PD is going to flare up. 
and you can't always predict it. We certainly know if you're under a lot of stress, which school is stressful, right? If you're taking exams, um, when you're working on a piece for an art show, that's stressful. I mean, there's all these things that can bring this stress and impact your symptoms, therefore making the incontinence be worse. So what is it that you do to help yourself? Well, when some merit of things, the first is I know exactly how many steps it is to the toilet from my seat in each and every classroom. And let me tell you, that is not something that is accounted for in any ADA building plan. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I agree with you. I was once at the Getty Museum. Um, my mom was in a wheelchair. And they have their restrooms are in the front of the building. And we were up on the, I think it was the third floor, second or third floor, in the far end. And yeah. she was in the wheelchair. But I mean, I had to like beeline down that hallway, get to the elevator to get to the restroom. It was just not conducive for someone that has a disability. Not at all. Not even a little bit. And that's if you don't have untimely delays at the elevator. Right. Or blocks in the restroom. Or some other problem. Right. There can be so many different things that can get in your way. So I think, you know, what comes to mind for me is this is where your mountain climbing skills come into play. Like you are prepared in the same way that you have your ropes and all the all the accoutrements that go with mountain climbing. You have those in place. And I think when you go into an environment like school, a classroom, you make sure that you know what you have in front of you, what your options are. Yes, and sometimes that includes a count of the number of shrubs between the class and the men's room. Interesting. Well, that's one thing that you have to your advantage, Travis. I've always said it's very lucky that men get to be able to pee in a bush because it's not quite as uh, discreet for women when you have to pull down your pants and bare your tush. So there we go. Right. Yeah. You not as easy. So you don't have to worry about your anatomy getting caught in your underwear and pointing the wrong direction when you wear diapers. Well, that's true. Okay. So now you brought up the big D word. All right. So this is probably D for the dreaded diaper. And, you know, I don't think of them as diapers. 
Now my grandson is three and a half and wears pull-ups sometimes. And um, I think of them more, and they're marketing them more as like glorified underwear. You know, that that's what it is. It's really not a diaper. And I think that they're doing a good job of marketing them for people because there a lot of women have this problem. It's not just men. I mean, a lot of women have incontinence issues. And I think the type of of underwear that you choose, there are certain brands that are better than others. I know you have very specific brands that you like to endorse that you think are superior to anything else and are far more expensive, but also just so far superior to um, how they perform. And so, and right. Yeah. I mean, because we've talked about this uh, obviously offline, we've talked about this a little bit. And I think the issue that comes to mind is here's a 40 something guy who has to wear protective underwear now. So it kind of fucks with your head a little bit. Can I say that truly? Yes. <laughs> no yeah. problem. Pretty it's pretty accurate. More than a little bit when you have to change your diaper in public mm-hmm. because there is no restroom, men's or women's, that has a changing table large enough to support me. Right. So it's something that you have to try to do discreetly, which is almost impossible because you have to get your shoes off, your pants off, all in the confines of a stall. So, I mean, it's pretty tight to do that. And I can imagine the stress that you're feeling when you have to do that. It's got to be pretty hard on you. It's not a fun experience, but neither is walking around with a wet diaper. Right. Travis, so in I, I since I don't have that much experience with men's rooms, are there ADA uh, compliant stalls in most men's restrooms? Um, no. Mm-hmm. I know they have them in most women's restrooms that I've been in. I see them. Yeah, they may have them in places like school. But there's only one. <laughs> and they don't have them in, like, if you're in a restaurant or something like that, if you're out with friends. I mean, th- there's so many scenarios that we could add here that could make it difficult to try to yeah. do this. So maybe we can put it out there to the uh, manufacturers to come out with like a pull-apart that can also maybe even have some Velcro that would be an easy on, easy off. Because they can be easy off, I guess. You can just pull them off. You can just tear them on the sides and pull them off. But they are not easy on. So, So we're reaching out. Any inventors out there, anyone that 
likes to tinker with this kind of stuff. Um, think about what you could do to help people that may have this issue, because there are a lot of people. I don't know what the number is. I'm assuming it's pretty staggering, but I do hear people mention this all the time. One thing I, I want to mention too is we've had someone in a support group that has also had a Medtronic device that helps with incontinence. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it's not dissimilar. Yeah. Not dissimilar. The bladder stimulator. Right. The bladder stimulator, which is similar to like when you think of a DBS, you know, item. It is something with that's wired. It goes into your back, I believe. That's where it was installed. She's had tremendous success with it, has been very happy with it. And yeah. so that is a, a great option for someone. I think, you know, don't feel like you have to resign yourself that you have no options other than medication. Because sometimes there are there are devices that can be very helpful and to really consider it. It's a very low it it, it definitely is invasive, but it is a low risk um procedure as I remember reading about. So I, I think it's something that you could really consider. Um, and so I think for our listeners, it's something to think about. And, and I'm sure for some of you it's upsetting to think about, well, is this what I'm is this what I'm coming to? I mean, there are some people, I mean, I've I've known people that have not had big issues with this. And I've known people where it's a, a real nuisance. But the most important thing to do is to make sure that you keep talking to your doctor about it, that you keep asking to see a urologist. If you don't like that urologist or you feel like you've been dismissed by the urologist, then you get another urologist. And you keep going so that you get the quality of life that you want. Don't stop. Yeah. This is essential in any of your doctor relationships. Remember, you always have to advocate for yourself. That's the most important mm. message you can get from from this podcast at any any day, any time, any session that we've done. We are always talking about advocating for yourself. Yes, and if you're someone who knows that you don't feel comfortable speaking up for yourself, find someone who will speak up for you and bring them along to your doctor's appointment. That's a great suggestion, Travis. Um, I think that a lot of people don't think about that, about having an advocate there to help them. And so right. if, if they are uncomfortable, some, maybe you're shy, you don't want to talk about it. But I think that it's very important to have someone that will speak for you. Yes, and if you're the kind of person who is not Taipei, and you do not know how 
The good journeys, man. You really need to find someone who can ask the doctor those difficult questions <laughs> and get the treatment you need. It's very important that um, you make that distinction. That you, it is about you. Your doctor works with you and they work for you. And that's a slightly yes. different point of view than looking at the doctor just telling you what to do. You always have the opportunity when a doctor gives you a new medication or they make suggestions to you, you always have the opportunity to question and ask them about it. And I think that all the doctors that I know, all the, certainly all the MDSs and neurologists that I have talked to, they want you to be proactive. They want to know what's going on. It's important for them. They can make very direct choices in how they treat your PD if they know what is really happening with you. So don't hold back. You know, don't go in the office and when they say, how are you doing? You say, good. Just let them know, I've been miserable. This is what's going on. I can't make it to the toilet in time. So. Yes. I, I think it's um, something that you have to look at and, uh, and really be, be involved with that. Agreed. Are there any other symptoms, Travis, that you can think of that are not talked about? Um, well, we've talked about the, um, autonomic features that I have trouble with, and that really spans the gauntlet, everything from blood pressure to blink rate, gut motility, urine inconstance, everything that your body does automatically in a healthy person mind may not do or may do it screwy. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. You know, one thing that's coming to mind, and I mean, this is a, a difficult topic also, is that when you think about sexuality and you're thinking about being incontinent and how that might make you feel, the fear involved with that, there, there's so many aspects to this. So... I might also suggest to someone that if you're having this issue, that you talk to a therapist, talk to a professional, talk about your feelings yes. about it. And if you cannot have that really candid conversation with your partner or partners, then I suggest 
You work real hard with that therapist until you can have the conversation with that partner. And if you still can, then you might need to look into getting a new partner. (laughs) I always like your take on something like this, Travis. Yeah, I mean... I mean, at the end of the day, if you can talk to your lover about whatever, then really, you've got some deep-seated problems. I would agree with that. However, I think we both know that there's a lot of people that don't have that kind of relationship. They may not be open. Why I was suggesting therapy first, right? Before you dump your loved one, right? Yes. Good idea. Good suggestion. Always try the therapy first. Yeah. Always try therapy first. Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, so do you want to share the brand or is that something we're allowed to do or not do? What do you think? Yes, we're allowed to, although they have not volunteered to sponsor us yet. Right, right. I'm still open to that arrangement. Okay. If they want. Okay. Well, maybe you could, that's something you could put like in the show notes. Is that something you? Yes. That might be a good way to do it. Definitely, but the brand that I endorse in the show notes of this episode. Okay. I think that's a great idea. That way people can take a look at it. And, you know, I think if you have questions, this is for our listeners out there. If you have questions about it, you know, I think Travis is pretty open to answer questions. And I am. You can always write him, you know, just send him a an email and and just ask a couple questions about it. it. It is something that has to be in the conversation when you're talking about Parkinson's. And there's a lot of things we don't like to talk about. This is probably one of the most uncomfortable things to talk about for most people. Not nearly as uncomfortable as sitting in a bottle of your own pee. That's true. That is So there is a relativity scale to it. (laughs) Okay. All right. And on that note, my friends, we will bid you adieu. Take it easy, Travis. All right, Judy, that's a wrap. Bing.